Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Bears. My name is Joy Christopoulos and my co-host, Corey Wooten. But first, today's episode, it's presented by BetOnline.ag because BetOnline, it's back. It's better than ever. It's got a new web interface for the rest of the NBA season, which means more props, odds, and lines than ever before because BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. So what are you waiting for? Get in your mobile device right now and sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is only when you use promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0 to receive that bonus. Basketball, football, NHL boxing UFC it's got your favorite Vegas casino games don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season that's because bet online it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports all season long bet online where the game starts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming into the pod and you know what happy holidays and happy new year let's get that out of the way right there my name is George <laughs> we're here to uh, break down the Bears insane uh 17 to 9 loss to the minnesota vikings in week 15 and also give you a combo platter get you ready for the holiday we're going to preview bears and seahawks and to do that i need to bring in my co-host former bears defensive end fox 32 chicago's very own Corey wooten what is up Corey? how are you oh nothing much man another disheartening uh, bears loss uh so it's, it's always tough it's been tough this season watching them um it was a close game, honestly. I think if, uh, you know, they, they could have capitalized on, on some of the red zone opportunities, uh, I think we'd be talking about a different game because they really had a pretty good plan for Kirk Cousins, you know, in my opinion, you know, um, holding him to under 100 yards. I think that was like the first time in his career that he's had a passing uh, total that low. So they were really able to get after him. They had a good plan for him. Obviously, in the red zone, he was able to complete two touchdowns. But, you know, in my opinion, holding a guy like Justin Jefferson under 50 yards in that game, that's a win, especially with how banged up the secondary was. The whole starting secondary was out. So, hey, I, I thought they played a pretty good uh, game defensively with all things considered. Yeah, and I think they held Dalvin Cook to 28 carries for 89 yards. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a win. Of his talent, right, that's got to be a win for sure. Um, I, I do want to get to the mistakes the dreaded word that when you see it on the TV, the NFL graphic, when they put up the word miscues, uh, miscues, when that happens, that's when you know that your team sucks. But let's just stay on the defensive side of the ball yeah. real quick, Corey. You know, I thought they did a great job. You know, they picked the yeah. four sacks, two from Hicks, two from Robert Quinn. Just talk about Akeem Hicks being back in the lineup. Go a little bit yeah. deeper on that secondary right there. Akeem Hicks looked like that was classic vintage Hicks. Am I wrong? Remember I told you, you were talking about the decision time after the season, you know, what makes sense for them. I said, when he is healthy, he, in my opinion, is, is one of the best defensive tackles in the game. You know, what he can do, you know, playing the run, getting after the passer. Um, unbelievable. I mean, he had a different level of burst out there, had two sacks, like you said, had four QB hits in that game. I mean, you know, after, after extended time out, I mean, he's an absolute monster out there, and everybody feeds off him. I mean, he is the heartbeat of that defense. Um, you know, I know Roquan Smith's been doing a great job at Robert Quinn, but Akeem Hicks is the heartbeat of that defense. It was great to have the big fella back. He's one of my favorite guys to watch out there, and they all feed off him. I just want to throw it out there real quick, and you could probably bring a player perspective to this. Is I think he made $10 million this year. He's going to mm -hmm. be a free agent next year, and he's been very clear – the last two weeks and some of his post-game comments about literally saying, I want to say goodbye to Chicago the right way, as in he's like out the door already. But my question for you is if they're cleaning house and if there is a new president of football operations, there is a new general manager, there mm -hmm. is a new head coach next year, 
Could there be a world where maybe Akeem Hicks comes back to the Chicago Bears? And if he does, Corey, you know, from the business side of things, what do you think a guy like him is worth who is, in fact, injury-prone and getting up in age? Because he's not worth $10 million. So yeah, $10 no, million. no. So, so I think I think you do a deal that makes sense. It's, it's more of a two-year deal, but more favorable of a one-year deal for him, right? And then if he proves himself like I think he can, then he's back for that second year. So that way you kind of protect yourself, and then you have an out after that year. Um, yeah, I don't know necessarily on the on the free market. He he could potentially get you know ten million or more. You know, a team like Jacksonville or something like that might might throw some bucks out there because that always happens. You know, when a team needs certain positions. But you know, in my opinion, I would like to see him back maybe for seven to eight somewhere around there. You know, and I think maybe you give him like I said a two year deal with a lot of front heavy in that first year. So that way, you know, he's, he's finishing the season strong and, and he deserves it because I think everybody feeds off him. And, and you know, when he's in there, he, he's a difference maker. I always said that. I think Khalil Mack, what he does is incredible. But I, I think for the team, having Akeem Hicks out there is more valuable to the team. I mean, look at with the, with the banged up secondary, you know, with piecing pieces together at different positions. And playing the way they did against Kirk Cousins, who was red hot coming into this game, was pretty impressive. And we've been talking a lot this season about run fits and gap discipline and stuff. And Akeem Hicks is just blowing up like several times, three, four, exactly. five different occasions, just stopping Delvin Cook right in his tracks. And, you know, it seemed like a fait accompli heading into the year that this was Akeem Hicks' last year. I'm just kind of asking myself now, if we start with a whole new regime and clean house, why wouldn't that new house maybe be an amenable to bring back a guy like Akeem Hicks? I don't know what it'd be like to get out of Eddie Goldman's money. I think they're probably tied up to that for at least another yeah. year, but I, I don't know. I think it's something worth considering because this defense is going to be going under a transition. And if it's a short term like that, yeah, you can bring a guy back like that and make that work in my opinion. Yeah. I, I think you need to bring him back because you look at Robert Quinn has had a resurgence in his career, right? He's, he's playing like he did when he had that 19 sack season shoot, he might break that his his total number uh, this year. Right you know? now, one and a half sacks away from Richard Dent's franchise record. Exactly. And and he's, I believe, one and a half away from 100 career sacks. So oh, I think wow. he'll do that before the end of the season. So uh, Cam Jordan, who plays for the Saints, they came out the same year. He just had his 100th sack, I believe, on Sunday night football, I believe. Um, That's crazy. What, it, an under, what an underrated player. No one talks I about know. Jordan. He's, exactly. Right? Kind of f flies under the radar. But it would be great for, for Robert Quinn to have 100 sacks this year. And think about next year, right? You have Robert Quinn, Khalil Mack, and then if you bring Akeem Hicks back, I mean, that's quite a trio over there. On, on, And I think that's what you need to build around. You got a guy like Roquan Smith, you know, that, that he's probably going to get broke off too. And then we kind of rebuild that secondary, get the right pieces together. You know, I think there's going to be a decision probably about Eddie Jackson uh, just because he hasn't played up to his capability. So, you know, I think if you can keep that front, front three, you know, those guys right there, I think it would help everything else out. Yeah, I'm already kind of looking at the draft. We have our second-round pick. We don't have a first-round or a third-round pick. That second round, I'm already kind of looking at cornerback, to be honest. Oh, 100%. I think yeah, that's, that's what you need. It's a great spot. There's depth usually at the cornerback position, and in the second round, you can get a really, really great value at that position. I'm already kind of looking at that. Corey, um, all right, let's let's uh, let's talk about uh, the insanity uh, of this game. You know, there's so many different things that I was texting my friends last night. One of them was like, at one point, this looked like, a scene from Saw and a Bears fan was chained up and forced to like watch with his eyes open as this thing happened. We were literally debating last night. 
because you know they were in that game, Corey. As you said, yeah. they had opportunities to win the game, which made it even more excruciating to watch. Yeah. And I was trying to debate, like, was this the most excruciating game of the season? And then my friends were like, oh, Contreras, uh, hold my beer, Tampa Bay and Cleveland Browns game, which was probably a little worse. Yeah. So now we're rating how excruciating these games are. <laughs> Just from a broad angle, man, I mean, from my perspective, this seemed like a pretty unhinged performance all the way from Matt Nagy to, mm. again, this lack of discipline with personal fouls. Mm. Uh, four in the game last night. We talked about that all season long, Corey. And every yeah. time even a defensive penalty led to a first down for the Vikings yeah. or some sort of holding penalty brought us back or a fumble. I mean, man, it was just a comedy of errors out there. I mean, there was a lot to take in. And yeah. it, from a former player, it had to be hard to watch for you. It is. It is because... It's, it's the key word, you know, being undisciplined. That's something that from the gap fits in the run game to things after the play. You look at Travis Gibson, you know, we got a chance to get off the field. And what does he do? He pushes somebody after the play. And then they end up scoring on that on that uh, drive. They score a touchdown. So we're talking about a completely different game. Uh, you get a chance to get off the field and then you have to jaw and push somebody. There's no excuse for that. You cannot cannot lose games like that you know and it's been a constant theme from mario edwards now to a guy like gibson who has played pretty well this year i thought he's filled the rotation well um but yeah you know tevin jenkins after the play he got that i'm really not that mad about because he was protecting his guy um so i, I would like that you know remember i talked about him last week what i saw him this week was finishing guys more you know throwing guys to the ground um having having his qbs back uh things like that because that's what you need and the one thing I really got mad at is after uh, Eric Kendricks leveled Justin Fields, yeah. that nobody came rushing and pushed him, right? Because because it, it, right afterwards, if you come and push him real quick, they're not going to call a flag on you for that. It's it's when stuff keeps going, you draw back and forth, and then you throw a punch. But afterwards, if, up anytime you go exactly. neck up is the penalty. Yeah, if you just push him, and that's what it should have been. It should just came over and pushed him and let him know that, hey, that's not going to happen in here. And I think that's the mark of a good team because look at like when a guy like Olin Krutz played for the Bears, that's something he really took pride in, right? If somebody hit, you know, his running back or quarterback late, he was going to go there and try to start a fight with somebody. And I think coaches respect that, right? I think thing, something like Mario Edwards and Travis Gibson after the play when they're that, – that's dumb. But I think when you have your teammates back, that shows that you guys are together – as a brotherhood, you're fighting for each other. So I have no problem with that. So I thought Tevin Jenkins did a much better job this week. And I know 98 had had three sacks in the game, but two two of them weren't his fault. You know, one one was the screenplay. One, Justin Fields just completely scrambled and ran backwards. I mean, what are you going to do in that situation? So I thought he had a much better performance this week. Yeah, there was several pre-snap breakdowns. Uh, you know, before we even hiked the ball, you know, the, yeah. the play was screwed up before we even said hike I know. in a couple of situations. Yeah. And, you know, it's tough to kind of I, I don't know how to cut the pie up of blame on that one. And obviously a little mm -hmm. bit's got to go to the rookie. A little bit could probably go to the coaching staff to maybe call that timeout. And a little bit has to do with this has been a season for the Chicago Bears where there have yeah. been so many moving pieces. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. even with this offensive line, I think when we got that running game going. Wasn't it because all the offensive linemen were playing together in concert and finally exactly. got some continuity and some rhythm? Yep. And this season, whether it is people ending up on the COVID list or for the Bears, it's just been straight-up injuries. It's been hard to keep that continuity. And when you've got a rookie quarterback and a left rookie left tackle yep. out there, I mean, we're just going to see mistakes like this. Um, you know, what was your take on the, the four trips to the red zone 
and three points. Um, yeah. Are you a guy that says kick field goals? Are you a guy that kind of puts that on? This is a thing that Justin Fields needs to improve yeah. upon, or is this something that the coaching staff did a poor job of scheming up uh, at moments? So I think whenever you get to the red zone four times, right, you want to try to score touchdowns on at least two of them. You know, if you can be 50% in the red zone, I think that would be pretty good. That's what you want to shoot for. Um, and David Montgomery fumbled the football. So that was another one. And then you have Santos. He missed that 49-yarder. And then you look at the 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 fourth and eight, you know, after the uh, Eric Kendricks hit, right, you know, when, when they had that first down. I think he was third. It was third down. He threw it to Jimmy Graham in and out of his hands. And the next one to Mooney looks like a great catch. His feet are out, turnover on downs. And then in the fourth, you know, fourth quarter, you know, two minutes in the game, then we have another chance to score and we just can't complete it. So in that situation, you have to have at least two of those, you know, we, we need, we need end zone. We need an end zone. And the other ones we kick field goals, but that's something that's plagued the bears team. And it's from gun runs to bad play calling and design. And I, I just don't understand it. In, in the red zone, let's get in the pro sets. I, I like the pro sets because then you could disguise things, right? We're talking about, you know, uh, helping out an O-line that's struggling, you know, because then you can work that play action as well. Justin Fields seems a little more comfortable when he's under center, dropping back and things of that nature. So I just kind of don't understand why they get very gun happy in, in the red zone. So in my opinion, pro style all day, but yeah, I mean, you, you look at this 17 to nine, you know, we score on, we score, you know, a field goal and a touchdown. And we're talking about a Bears win in this game, you know, when, when even despite, you know, the banged up secondary, like I said earlier, you hold Kirk Cousins to, you know, career low in passing yards. Great game plan for him. Great game plan for Justin Jefferson. Uh, Dalvin Cook, you hold under 100. I mean, offense has got to help help us out you know in, in some regard well yeah to, to that point it was a definition of insanity right doing the same thing over and over again because from what i saw was that bears would get the ball drive it down the field get in the red zone don't score minnesota gets the ball i think the bears defense on six of the 12 drives got a three and out yeah that's awesome right that's yeah. that's that's a bit that's some bears defense right there yeah so the bear three and out Get the ball back. All right, here we go again. Here we go. Drive yeah. down the field. Mistake or something happens. You know, and we just did that. I think yeah. I feel like the entirety of the second half. Corey reminded me. I don't know if you ever saw this. You know, you grew up in Jersey, uh, but you know the Chicago Bulls. Uh, you know, during, during the Jordan days, they would do these uh, uh, championship celebration videos at the end of the year. And after mm -hmm. the first championship, there was something called learning to fly, and it was uh, Tom Petty. And in the beginning of it, there's a long montage of. The Bulls and growing pains, making mistakes, like Jordan committing a turnover, Horace Grant missing a dunk, uh, Cartwright. You know, it was, it was it wants to be about the young Bulls and their growing pains. And, Corey, man, this game felt like that learning to fly montage in, like, one game, like a season's worth of mistakes yeah. in one game. You know, they, they fought hard. I mean, where does this team go from here? I mean, I, the, the easy answer is just strap it up and play against Seattle next week, and it looks like Nagy's going to keep being the coach. But, I mean, what do you think the level of frustration is in that locker room right now? Uh, I think it's very frustrating because, I, like I said earlier, I think this is a very winnable game. You know, Minnesota, you know, kind of been hot as of late, but they didn't play very well in that game. So I thought I felt like this was an opportunity – where they weren't playing well, where you could you could have beat them. And I think it came down to turnovers. You look at early on David Montgomery having that fumble, Justin Fields having that fumble, um, Bird, you know, muffing the kick. 
things like that. Justin Fields taking too many sacks. So let's get into Justin Fields a little bit, right? So I, I think his biggest thing is, is ball security right now and decision-making. And, and you look at that, when he, when he has that design run and he's holding the ball out there, you, you got to keep that thing high and tight like Tiki Barber. You remember, remember Tiki Barber? He had all those issues fumbling. And then he went to tie high and tight, didn't have any fumbles after that. So when you are scrambling, you have to protect the football. You're running design run. And Justin Fields was a little bit too loosey-goosey with that football. And then in situations, right? So, for example, let's let's look at the, the one sack that uh, 98 had on him when he kind of scrambled backwards, right? That's a play that you have to scramble to the, to the sideline, right, if the play breaks down. And then you have the option to throw it out or hit the corner if you can beat that defensive end to the edge. And that's it, right? Live to play another down. Then when there was that screen play where 98 got the sack as well, that's something he's got to throw at his legs, you know? You cannot take a sack on a screen play. That's, that's one of the worst plays in football, you know? It'll drive every old offensive lineman wild, you know, because people look at that and they say, oh, that was Tevin Jenkins' fault. He was down the field for the screen. You know, he, J Justin Fields has to get that ball out. And then the fourth and one, right, where a situation where that was just an awful play call. I think they didn't know what was going on because David Montgomery had to come out in that play. because and Mooney helmet. backfield. Mooney was there, had no clue what was going on. Call and time I think out. It was just a broken – yeah, call a timeout in that situation, right? And that's where we get back to Matt Nagy, right, in certain situations. You, you, you have to know, hey, we are not prepared here. Let's call a timeout. And, and let, let's let's get to the drawing board. Let's get everything, everybody on the same page. Because what that was, was that was a cluster, that play. Everyone was going this way, that way. Justin Fields had no clue. And in that situation, he can't take a sack on fourth and one. You got you to get something going down the field, you know? I mean, you just cannot take a sack in that. And I think that's where he has to learn. You know, he has to know situational awareness. You got to know you cannot take a sack on a screen. You cannot scramble backwards and take a sack. Fourth and one, you have to do something. You got to get the first down, whether it's running, whether it's throwing it, you have to get the first down. You cannot take a sack. Yeah. And it has to, the ball has to go forward. I mean, I'm saying it as an obvious thing, but you have to look at it. You have to kind of look at it like that. And yeah, Corey, it's, it's going to be interesting. Now uh, uh, let's bring up Aaron Rodgers real quick. And there is a rare occurrence where I do find him to be insightful. And this is one of those times. And he's talked about Corey when he was a young quarterback, when he'd go into the off season, he said that, I, I tried to compartmentalize and say to myself, I'm not going to fix every weakness in one offseason. I'm not going to put every weakness that I have on one plate. He's like, what he decided to do was try and take little details. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to work on two or three little details each offseason. And eventually, as you stack them on top of them, all of your general weaknesses kind of sort of become strengths over time. Mm -hmm. And this sort of feels like what we're driving at with Justin Fields, right? Where... I think ball security, if we want to talk about little details with Justin Fields next year in the offseason, ball security is number one, right? And you just hit on that, and it's going to be probably one of the most important things that he works on because as the quarterback of the football team and as the guy that also runs and passes, the ball is going to be in his hands mm -hmm. you know, 80, 85% of the time when they're on offense, and you can't lead the league with 12 fumbles, which is what he has right now. Yep. If there were maybe one or two other maybe little details, what do you think could – Maybe be on that list for Justin Fields heading into the offseason if you can make one. The, the decisiveness. You know, at, at times um, when he's comfortable, he's very decisive, right? You saw as the game progressed and he kind of had some of those throws to Cole Komet threading the needle, putting it right on the money. Beautiful. The one to Jimmy Graham at the end where it went in and out of his hands. The one to Mooney where he almost got his 
I mean, those those are great throws right there. Um, I think he just needs to be decisive, right? And and I, I I think that's the next step for him because in certain games, you know, when you see him look like a, a Pro Bowl type quarterback when he makes certain throws or he tucks it and goes, he reminds you of a guy like Lamar Jackson. But at times when he holds it too long, this, that, and the other, he looks like a backup quarterback. And so he needs to be decisive for whatever reads he has. And, and like I said from the beginning, I think it needs to – one, two, two progressions, and then if it's not there, tuck it and go. I think that that has to be his mindset um, for most of his career because what he does really well is, is you know, is able to use his feet, right? He passes well on, on the move. Um, so I think he needs to, to capitalize that. Nope. I think sometimes guys that can run really try to prove that oh, I can be a pocket passer. I can do this. But we talked about Aaron Rodgers. He's better on the run. Right. So it doesn't matter how you get it done. It's what what's more comfortable for you. And I think he's more comfortable when he gets moving. You know, when he could have a couple of runs here, he's on the sprint outs, hard play actions. So I just want him to be decisive in his decision making, you know, one, two, tucking and go if it's not there. Right. And, and really and really in certain situations, no, no, know the situational awareness. Right. If, if you cannot take a sack, you have to do something, whether it's scramble, whether you throw it down the field you have to take a shot in certain situations. And uh, I feel like that's still, uh, you know, immaturity, youth, um, inexperience, you know, playing out, especially because it's a lot faster at this level. You know, I think people, people don't realize that, oh yeah, he's going to be able to transition fine and this is going to be great. But you got to realize too, his, his coaches don't always put him in the best uh, position to succeed. So I think he's, he's got some things going against them, but him as a competitor, he's got to know, listen, I have to get the ball out quicker. I cannot take a sack here. I got to help the guys out because anytime you make bad decisions like that, you know, really impacts the game, you know, and this is 17 and nine, that's a close game. You're talking about, you know, a play here or there that could have changed the outcome of the game. So for him, he's got to be decisive. And uh, I think, I think those two things going into the offseason, if we could focus on those two, one, like you said, being decisive, I think that would help him a lot going forward and, and help his confidence. Yeah, quick follow-up to that, um, and it's something that I've seen, and this isn't necessarily my idea. It's out there a little bit. Does part of that have to do, when you're talking about decisiveness, him learning to climb the pocket a little bit better, where it feels like he there's a want to with the rookie, yeah. right? and he's made a couple big plays, so now every play he wants to make that big play. And he is really effective when he rolls out to his left. That seems to be what his preference is. But again, he gets in a lot of trouble because you have to get around that edge and by the time you do what you're, God, diagonally, what, 10 yards off the line yeah. of scrimmage already, the depth there is all screwed up. So if he can maybe learn to climb the pocket as they come up, you know, he slides for, yeah. for the layman's. Is that maybe something that goes into that decisiveness and that situational, you know, that feel for the pocket, stepping up, when to step out, when to hang in there, that's kind of, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, th I think a lot of times when, when a lot of these quarterbacks come from college schemes, you know, they're, they're, they're used to the gun a lot. And, and you know, uh, drop back and gun is a lot different than under center, right? When you're under center, you have time, you take a true, true drop back, you take your time, get set, and you feel the pressure a little bit better. When you're in the gun, you don't feel the pressure the same way. Right. It, it, it kind of it kind of comes at, at a different pace. So I think once he gets more comfortable under under center, you know, with feeling that pressure and then being able to step up, climb, because then you'll feel the pressure. Now, I think it's, it, it takes a little bit of time, but when you start to feel those edge rushers getting up to the level of you, 
then you can hit a situation where you where you act like you're going in and then step up in the pocket, still keeping your eyes down the field. And I think when we see that, that we're going to be able to see some growth. But it takes time because a lot of like I said, a lot of these college quarterbacks, they're so used to out of the gun. So it, it has such a different look. And when you're coming out of center, you, you guys are so, the defensive ends, the tackles are so much closer to them. And then it takes it takes a second to develop. So he can naturally feel that when you're in the gun, you don't feel that the same way. So I think it's going to take a little time with him. But I think if he can get that down and, and the problem is when a lot of people see pressure, they, they look at the pressure. Right. And, and you look at some of the greats, you look at a guy like Tom Brady, right, one of the best at feeling pressure. He keeps his eyes down the field the whole time. Right. He sees it in his peripheral vision. You know, the, the rusher is coming at him, but then he's still down the field. Right. He sees them here and here. And he's able to complete that ball down the field. So when we can see that from Justin Fields, see him be calm in that pocket, because th those are the quarterbacks that do really well. You know, a guy like Ted, Teddy Bridgewater, who I played with in, in 2014, right, his rookie year, he was one of the, the calmest quarterbacks in the pocket. Bobo that year, right? Bobo that yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think the next year he did. Because okay, yeah. his rookie year, Matt Castle started out, and then he came in. Um, but the next year he went to the Pro Bowl. But I just remember – seeing him in games like and he just looks so cool under pressure right people would be breathing down his neck and the saints at the time right had cam jordan and uh, junior galette who were, who were two two of the best tandems in the league very underrated and they were breathing down his neck and you see him just step up you know avoid them look downfield complete passes and this is a guy that was playing his first game because matt castle had went out in that game and just looked so comfortable and i think that's something that you know, it comes with time. Some people are born with that. Teddy Bridgewater was as cool, cool as a cucumber in that pocket. But I think Justin Fields, if he can be cool and comfortable in that pocket by still keeping his eyes down the field, I think it's going to make everything a lot better because then you don't have to take your eyes down and look at the defender and then look down the field. So if he could just keep his eyes down the field, I think we see some major growth from him. Yeah, and shout out to Teddy Two Gloves. Uh, word is that he's okay. Uh, you know, yeah. that that was really really scary. And scary, yeah. and I, you know, I don't really have skin in the game for him, but you just hear around the NFL how much he's beloved as a teammate. Oh, yeah. And he might not be a franchise quarterback, but you know, he plays winning football and he takes care of the football. So exactly. I think he'll continue to play as long as he's healthy moving forward. Let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor, Lightbox. I got news for everybody. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Listen, cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a very light price. Only $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but are just grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in plush pink and beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off price so they won't have to they really do make any outfit sparkle so visit lightboxjewelry.com right now to add sparkle to your holiday shopping that's lightboxjewelry.com lightbox diamonds never a dull moment now back to the pod my final thing on justin fields i just want to get it out there and provide a little perspective to bears fans because i'm starting to hear it Corey. we're already starting to kind of hear the oh the bears should have drafted mac jones over justin fields and this that and all this other stuff so Let's just kind of get that out there a little bit. Now, let's name the facts. You know, the Patriots are a winning football team right now. They spent a lot of money on the defense in the offseason. Let's not forget that real quick. And Mac Jones, for the most part, has played well. And I loved him coming out of college. Like, super accurate dude. Already kind of has a really good feel for the position. Total pocket passer. I like him. But here's where my pushback is, is that for the Chicago Bears, when we're looking for the next great 
or maybe the first great franchise quarterback in Bears history. In terms of Mac Jones, we've already kind of seen that story, right? We've already seen the guy who plays with the great defense, who manages the game, makes a couple accurate throws, and is a winner. We've seen that before. My biggest knock on Mac Jones was that I think he's a good quarterback, but I feel like in two or three years, we're going to be asking, Mac Jones is good. Is he great? You know, the old Joe Flacco, is he a franchise guy? Can he win you a Super Bowl? He's good, but is he great? And the Bears deserve great. I still really feel really confident, even with the naggy stuff and the play calling. I still feel really good about Justin Fields' trajectory right now. He's gotten over 300 uh, all-purpose yards in, I think, three of his last four games. We're seeing magnificence with rookie stuff. I think the ceiling is still higher. I love him as a dude, as a competitor. I mean, Corey, just talk to those Bears fans yeah. right now. Maybe you're kind of like, we should have taken Mac Jones over no. Justin Fields. I, I'm I'm staying on the court. Yeah. yeah, no, no. I think I think Justin Fields was the right pick. I just think the difference between Mac Jones and Justin Fields is the coaching staff. And <laughs> I, I I honestly think and people the jewelry, underestimate the jewelry on the yeah, head. <laughs> yeah, I think people underestimate how important it is to have a coaching staff cater an offense to you and you, you look at mac jones right you look at when they played buffalo in that snowy game he didn't pass the ball much at all right they ran the ball because they know listen we're not going to put him in a situation that's, that's going to affect his confidence going to affect what he's comfortable with right so we're going to run the football in this game and what do they do they win a tight one in that they don't put too much pressure on him mm-hmm. and hats off to bill belichick because they know his strengths, right? And and it doesn't matter who he's had at quarterback, whether it was Matt Castle, whether it was Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Brian Hoyer, uh, Jacoby Brissett, right? Always game plans for the success. And that's what I wish the Bears would do. And fans, you have to realize, right, that Matt Nagy, Bill Lazor, right, they have not game planned well for whatever quarterback has been in there, even from Andy Dalton, right? There's been a couple of good things here and there, but they have not game plan for what each quarterback does well. And I think a guy like Justin Fields, you know, you have to game plan, including the runs, getting the run game going, hard play action, sprint outs, boots, things like that. You got to get his confidence up and they have not done that, right? And at times when things were going well, they were running the football, right? Detroit game, second half in the Pittsburgh game, things okay. like that, that, yeah, Oakland. So I think Bears fans, you just have to realize that with the new staff, because Matt Nagy and company will not be there next year. I, I, I can I can bet on that one. Um, I think we need a true offensive guru, right? Not not somebody not somebody that that coached under an offensive guru. And that's no disrespect to Matt Nagy, right? But that was Andy Reid's show. We need somebody who has a proven track record that can game plan for success and is going to put Justin Fields in the best position week in and week out to win football games and showcase and highlight his talent. So that's why I'm excited for next year, right? This year to me, I'm really not worried about it, whether, whether he finishes great, he finishes strong. It would be nice to, to see him, you know, finish out strong, have some, have some really strong performances, uh, pass the ball well, run the ball well, protect the football. But I think, I think next year, they're, they're going to hire somebody that is a true offensive guru that's, that's going to really highlight what he can do. Amen to that. And uh, just so we get it on the record, Matt Nagy was calling the plays last night offensively. Oh, go figure. Uh, who knew? Who knew? And then, look, man, that's the problem, man. That's like I wasn't like trying to like make some sort of hot take or make some sort of news when I said we need to fire Nagy after the Packers game is because – and look, this is also the silver lining. When we go into the offseason and we look back at this game, we're going to say this is Justin Fields on Matt Nagy's watch. 
doesn't count. But me yeah. personally, I wanted to remove myself from Nagy so we could see Justin Fields on his own and kind of make some sort of more of an objective assessment without the stink of this coaching staff yeah. attached to the dude's name, right? And we're going to continue to get that as long as Matt Nagy's coach over these final three games. I want to see progress, right? But even if we don't see it, then we can just say, you know, well, that was just with Nagy and we'll see what happens. And it's like yeah. we're spluttering our wheels a little bit. You know, I, I want to see it kind of I want to see it move forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I would, I would like it too. But you know, what, shoot, what, what if, uh, what if next year Mitch Trubisky gets an opportunity somewhere and it absolutely balls out, right? Everybody's gonna know at that point it wasn't, it wasn't him, right? It was Matt Nagy, and I just think people fail to realize how important that is, right? You know, I, I always bring this, this reference, but you look at Alex Smith, right? After Colin Kaepernick became the quarterback of the Chiefs, or sorry, 49ers rather. And, you know, Alex Smith was kind of shipped to the side. They were saying, oh, he's a game manager. He's never going to be good. Then he goes to Kansas City under Andy Reid, right? And is one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league. Lead, lead the league in passing yards, touchdowns, this, that, and the other. This is a guy that they said is a career game manager. He cannot do this. But what does Andy Reid do? Caters this offense to his strengths, right? And he absolutely balls out. So that is the power of a coaching staff. So don't tell me that somebody cannot play. You know, because listen, there's different levels of talent. Can't get me wrong, right? Aaron Rodgers compared to a guy like Mr. Trubisky, right? It's, it's here and here. But a good coaching staff can elevate somebody's talent, you know? And I, I think I think people fail to realize that. And Matt Nagy really did a disservice to Mr. Trubisky. And now he's really doing a, a disservice to Justin Fields. And everyone thinks it's the player. But sometimes it's really the coach, right? And, and that's why year in and year out, no matter who is the quarterback, for the Patriots, Bill Belichick and company, they cater that offense to them and they're able to play within their skill sets. And that's the mark of a good coach, right? It's not having an ego. It's not, oh, this is my offense. You got to run my offense. That goes out the window, right? Because at the end of the day, you know what happens when you don't win games? You and your offense, that's going somewhere else looking for a job, to be yeah. honest with you. Right. So there's I, I think John Harbaugh, Mike Vrabel, uh, Frank Reich right now in the NFL. I mean, a lot of these guys cater to what the strengths of their football team are. And I'm just ready to have that conversation of Justin Fields separate from this Matt Nagy thing that's been going on for far too long. Hey, Ryan Day. Uh, yeah, right. Oh, dude. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan Day. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing right now is honestly the, the, the I'll throw a conspiracy out there, a theory out there. I have this from nothing. This is just in my brain is that if the Trace Armstrong stuff is true, then it makes a lot of sense why Nagy and Pace haven't been fired yet because they are both clients at the same agency as Trace Armstrong. And Trace Armstrong says at the very least, if I'm going to fire these guys, I'm not going to give them the indignation of being the first ones fired midseason as a Chicago Bear, right? Yeah. And when he yeah. comes in, he gets to take over, clean house, Hopefully, find a general manager that we you know, we all like and we all love. I know Lewis Riddick is going to bandy about for the job, and I like Lewis a lot. I, I'd be into that personally. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, then Trace Armstrong is is connected to the Ryan Days of the world, and then it yeah. kind of goes from there. So we'll see what happens. But Corey, we got to roll it forward a little bit before we get out of here. Let's. Um, there's a football game next week. Bears are four and ten. Uh, Seahawks ain't aren't making the playoffs either. They're going in to Seattle. You've talked a lot, Corey, about you know how hard it is for this Bears team to perform on the road. Yeah. But give us, uh, you know, we're going to do two Corey's keys here with a final score prediction. What would be your first key if the Bears uh, want to play well and they want to have any chance at winning in Seattle next week? 
You, you got to limit your turnovers because once that crowd gets into it, the 12th man, that, that is an absolute beast. It's hard to play at. So if, if you can limit the turnovers, keep continue to get first downs, keep that crowd out of it, you know, especially for a guy like Justin Fields. I don't think he's seen a crowd noise like this. And I know Seattle has not not making the playoffs, but the 12th man, that, that's an experience going to that game. They're still going to be rocking. You know, they treat it like Bears fans do, no matter, you know, whether you're four and 10, you're not making the playoffs. They are going to be there cheering, getting into it because that's what they're known for. So limiting the turnovers, you know, staying ahead of the downs, continue to get first downs, getting that running game going. I think that's crucial for the offense because, you know, what we saw last week was, you know, too many turnovers in, in, in situations, especially in, in the red zone, right? If you're in the red zone, David Montgomery, you cannot fumble. Santos, we got to hit the field goal. I know it might have been tipped. Um, we got to complete some of those passes. We have we need a need a better package, right? Get get under center, get more of that pro style, give give us both options. So, you know, if we continue to do that, I think we'd be successful because Seattle's been up and down this season. You know, they're not any killers out there, you know, in my opinion. Um, their defensive ends, you know, have been up and down. The sack totals don't don't scare you. You know, they have some talented guys, but they just really haven't produced this year. You know, guys like Dunlap. Um, you know, he's, he's been a talented pass rusher, but he really hasn't put the production that we've seen. So, you know, staying ahead of the down, getting that running game going, keeping that crowd noise out, I think is crucial in this game. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I was thinking the same thing is all these issues now are in-house, right? I mean, and to your point, you know, maybe a little less gun and a little more pro style will kind of help with some of the cadence at the line. So you don't have false starts in a loud, mm -hmm. uh, a loud um, atmosphere with a rookie left tackle and a rookie quarterback. And if you kind of look at the Seattle defense, we were talking about a couple weeks ago, we are in a stretch right now where we're going to be facing some vulnerable defenses over the last couple weeks. There are things you can take advantage of, like the Seahawks. They're allowing like 294.6 passing yards a game the last five games to opposing quarterbacks. That's a good number for Justin Fields. They're not good at stopping the run. I think no. they've allowed over 11 running backs to post at least 90 total yards against them, and they've given up 13 total touchdowns to the running back position this year. And that's one of the worst units in terms of stopping the run. I mean, it's all kind of out there for yeah. the Bears to play a solid game. And as we've seen, they're pretty good in between the 20s. And once they get inside the 20s, I don't know. All, all, all bets are off for me because we've talked exactly. about it. Before. We've tried to figure it out. And at this point, it's uh, it seems like we're just uh, it's, it's a futile enterprise at this point. Um, do you have any more keys possibly to hopefully pick up a win? Yeah. Well, hopefully yeah. we can help you on the defensive side and – yeah, Akeem Hicks, I, I think he's the engine for, for this defense, right? I think everybody feeds off him. You talk about Russell Wilson. Remember I talked about pocket awareness, how some quarterbacks have it and some don't. He has very good pocket awareness. So, you know, a guy like Robert Quinn is really going to be able to get off the edge, dip around the corner, and what is he going to do? He's going to make a guy like Russell Wilson step up. And who who's really going to have a good game? A guy like Akeem Hicks, right? Because he's able to generate that pressure up the middle, you know, he's disruptive in there. I think he's going to have another big game. Um, so Akeem Hicks, I look for him to go big. He had two sacks in, in uh, last game, almost had three, four QB hits. So I look for him to have another huge game. And he's he's at a point where he's trying to prove himself, right? He's getting up there in age. You know, some people are doubting his, you know, if he can stay healthy in a season. Um, so he I think he's pretty really, healthy. He looked pretty yeah, healthy. <laughs> he, he looked healthy. Yeah, that, that's the one good thing I've said. He's always had like those little nagging injuries. It hasn't been anything major, you know, like major knee or, you know, shoulder stuff. It's, it's been, you know, elbow, but I mean, that's something that you can't the really groin this year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it hasn't been anything that, that causes concern that, oh, like he has bone-on-bone -bone arthritis. He has a terrible shoulder or back. 
Um, I think these are manageable injuries. So I think he's the key there. And I think everybody feeds off him. And I'm hoping that both him and Robert Quinn can go big and Quinn can maybe get his hunger sack in this game. That'd be huge. Yeah, it better not come against your Giants, Corey. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> the Giants, that's the last thing That's the last thing you want to see. Uh, Corey, man, let's get to a final score, man. What are you thinking? You know, it's early in the week right now. We're taping this because the holidays are coming up. Um, but, you know, if you could first blush right now, uh, you know, do you think the Bears got a chance on the road against the Seahawks? I, I think they do. You know, I think I think the Seahawks are a team that's, that's kind of been struggling. Um, you know, Russell Wilson um, – you know, he was banged up for some of the season, so he's, he's coming back into things. Um, he looked pretty good last game. You know, I think they had a good game against Houston. Um, but I, I think this is a game that, you know, just like Minnesota, you know, we're kind of backs were against the wall. Nobody predicted us to win. Um, and defense played well. I think it's going to take a good defensive performance. I think if we run the football, we can kind of keep them at bay. I think it's going to be a lower-scoring game, in my opinion. I think it's going to be – I think the Bears are going to lose – um, I think it's going to be around 21 to 14. I think it's going to be a really tight game. I, I really do. I think the, uh, I'm in the same range. I'm in the same range. Yeah, I'm having a hard I time think, finding myself getting our offense over 16 points. And I'm with exactly. you. But I do think maybe a little bit of a lower scoring affair is is yeah up there for sure. I, yeah, I, I just I just think you know during certain parts of the game we, we tend to kind of abandon the run game at times and i'm just like just stick with the run especially if things are tight like even even with the minnesota game like just run the football run the football it's still a tight game um so i'm just hoping that we do not abandon the run but yeah i think seattle's gonna be a little too much i think it's gonna be a tight one at 21 to 14. you know I, I i'm pretty much right there with you on score i just can't i don't have any confidence in this Bears team right now, I mean, just look at it on paper, right? Going into Seattle versus a guy like Russell Wilson, who's hasn't had a great year, but he was hurt, obviously, and he's actually kind of turned it on the last two or three games, looking more like the Russell Wilson of old. And there's just nothing that engenders confidence right now with this team discipline-wise that makes me think that we're going to play a clean, solid game on the road, hang tight with a guy like Russell Wilson, and pull out a bit of it, just kind of hard. Uh, it's a tough, it's a tough yeah. sell for me right now, man. Not buying it, right? <laughs> no, no, not, 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 not buying it. And it, and it stinks too, because I would really love us to win a couple of games, just make that draft pick that we're giving to the Giants next year, by the way, yeah. which is number five right now, Corey. Uh, maybe a little bit deeper down the trough, but doesn't really look like it's going to happen. Um, Corey, before we go, before we go for the holidays, man, back by popular demand. Yeah. People are really enjoying these. We have to do another edition of right. this week's edition of Corey's Stories. Um, I want to take you back a little bit. Um, I asked you because, you know, we're playing the Seattle Seahawks this weekend. And, you know, we've talked a lot about that 2010 season, that magical 2010 rookie year that you had. We mentioned a little bit about it last week. Can you walk us through a little bit? I want to go back to January 16th. Uh, I guess it is 2011, I guess, basically at that point. Yeah. Bears-Seahawks playoff game. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of one of the, you know, we all talk about the game against the Packers and Cutler getting hurt, but, you know, the week before that, it was kind of a really special day, you know, at Soldier Field. And uh, I think you guys won with 35 to 24 that game. Yep. Exactly. And just kind of take us back, man. What was your favorite memories or stories from that yeah. day, that game? Because that was a great day in Bears history. So I don't know if you remember, that was the season that Seattle was seven and nine and they made the playoffs. Yeah, one so, of the worst and, teams. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that NFC West was just awful that year and no, nobody had a winning record. Um, but the week before, right, um, they had home field advantage against the Saints. And I don't know if you remember that historic the beast, oh, the beast Marshawn Lynch yep. run 
But at the end, where he said, "Hold my," <laughs> at the end, uh, it was it was incredible. That was that was one of the best runs I've ever seen, and it it was just like unbelievable. So then, <laughs> then he comes he comes to Soldier Field and really doesn't do anything. You know, we play them and they they, they kind of were pass happy in that game, right? Hasselback and company. Yeah, 46, um, 46 pass attempts pulling it up right yeah, now. So so yeah. they, you know, it was it was it was a really cold game and we were surprised because they had been running the football really well. Um, you know, we were kind of ready for, you know, a pound them, grind them out game, uh, just because it was snowing that that day too. It was really cold. Um, but I remember being on the field and uh there was a run play to my side, right? And literally everybody, you know stop Marshawn Lynch maybe for like a yard gain right and we're trying to we're trying to drive him down you know there's like 10 people on him. we're trying to just throw him to the ground and nobody can right and he was like y'all can't tackle me I'm beast mode <laughs> and we're like what he's got gold teeth and all this stuff and, and everybody just starts dying laughing but that was that was probably the hardest person ever to tackle like you cannot bring him on on the ground like literally we played him um we played him the next year or two at soldier field and it was just incredible like just how strong he was center of gravity like you understand why he was really beast mode like I, there's never been a running back that i was like yo this guy's really hard to bring down like he was a tank on there His balance everything literally 10 guys on the field and we could not bring him down right so but we, we we held him. I think he had four yards in that game. I was just I was trying to look it up, Corey. Uh, I, I if I'm getting this correct, he had four rushing attempts for two yards. Two yards. Okay, yeah, four attempts for two yards. So we did Corey. a pretty good job. Corey, you just held beast mode to two yards on four carries. I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> hey, it was pretty good. But I I don't know why they didn't want to give him the ball. But uh, hey, see, coaching staff sometimes they, they try to do what they want to do instead of what they should do. Um, yeah, they they ran the ball only twelve times, dude. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know for whatever reason. Um, but at, another story in that game, uh, the tight end John Carlson, um, talented guy, kind of his career got shut uh, cut short by concussions. Man, he got knocked out cold. Uh, he went up the sideline, and I think he tried to hurdle. Um, I forget who it was, and I mean he got absolutely destroyed destroyed because he tried to hurdle him. His foot got caught. And he landed right on his head. And I mean, he was out cold. Like literally he was out for like 10 minutes. You know, he had to bring the stretcher on everything. He eventually woke up. Um, but I think that was that after that concussion, that's when stuff started to go downhill for him. You know, he had signed to, uh, you know, Minnesota and Arizona and got, you know, a bunch of concussions there and then had to retire because of it. So it was a scary moment. You know, you kind of talking about the like, Teddy Bridgewater injury, you know, whenever they have to bring the carts out and people are unconscious, you kind of just get worried, hoping that, you know, nobody's paralyzed or there's kind of no long-term, uh, you know, brain injuries or anything like that. But luckily he was okay. And, uh, you know, was ended up getting Carter off the field, but it's it's scary whenever when anyone goes down like that because he landed right on the top of his head. Yeah, God, no, that that's definitely terrifying, especially when you see it in any game. I think we've got we had a couple of those this weekend, unfortunately. Donald Parham was a guy that had to go. Uh, they had to take him off the field too, as well, which was really scary. Um, Corey, what's it like um, being in a locker room after a playoff win in when in the Chicago Bears uniform? Oh. I mean, it's got to be a mixture of like. Uh, we're not done yet versus like the present feeling of the moment. Just kind of take us in there. What was, what was the vibe like after a playoff win in a bears uniform? Oh man, it was, it was incredible. And, and knowing that we were going to play green Bay in the, in the NFC championship, right? I think that's, that's 
you know, the football gods and, and Chicago fans were just so excited about that. We were excited about that just because that rivalry to, to be in the NFC championship. And in my first year, everyone's just going nuts and, and thinking, yeah, we're going to win it all because we had confidence. Our defense was playing well. The offense was putting up points. And, um, you know, I think we were we were hitting the right stride at the right point. And, uh, you know, I think Green Bay hit a better stride, you know, because we played them. And this is the thing. The last game of the season, I don't know if you remember that, you know, week 17, we play Green Bay at Green Bay, and they have to win the game to get in the playoffs, right? For us, it really didn't matter. So I played I played majority of that game. Like Julius Peppers played like the first quarter, first half, and then he kind of sat out because I think we wanted to rest people. We knew we already made the playoffs. But I kind of wish we would have played that game to try to win it because – I think if we would have been playing a different team, I think we could have been in the Super Bowl and possibly won because I think we could have definitely beat Pittsburgh. You know, I think whoever was in that NFC um, was going to win it that year. So I, I just wish we would have played that that last game of the season to win it as opposed to conserving the starters. But I get it. You know, you, you're worried about keeping everybody healthy for the games that matter. But you know, you always know when Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay come to town, it's always tough, and you want you want to keep him at home for the playoffs you don't want him in the playoffs so it was a tough one man but that was that was such a great season especially in my first year um just an incredible feeling um you know after after the season I went to Vegas with some of my buddies and we we celebrated we had a good old time man so <laughs> it, it, it was fun but it would have been nicer to, to to go to the Super Bowl instead so well, Corey, I, I think you could still hang your head high and say that you were a member of one of the only three Bears playoff wins in the 21st century. Uh, Let's go. We're, we're about to be in 2022, my man. So yeah, that's always nice. Uh, you got that. You got that. Definitely that feather in your cap for sure. Uh, Corey, man, we got to get out of here, man. Happy holidays and happy new year to everyone out there listening. This was Believe in Bears brought to you by BetOnline.ag. 50% welcome bonus with promo code Believe50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0 on your first deposit. Make sure you check that out for the holidays and also Lightbox Jewelry. Got great deals going on for the holidays, which is almost over, but those deals are going to continue into 2022. We're so happy to have them here as a sponsor. My name is Joey Christopoulos at Joey Sports Guy. Corey, man. Happy holidays, dude. Uh, you got some family in town. Um, eat yeah. some mom's cooking. Maybe go out and play some golf because it's 65 degrees in St. Louis right now, which yeah. is insane. Um, uh, take me home, man. Take us all home on another great pod. Yeah, man. Another great pod. Uh, another season has been uh, been tough, man. You know, it's a lot of a lot of a lot of downs. Not too many ups. Um, but I, I think I think the future is bright. You know, I think a quarterback position. I think once we get the the right coordinator around him the right coaching staff I, I think he's really going to flourish and uh you know you just got to be patient Bears fans I know this season means nothing so whatever happens the rest of the season I don't put too much stock on I'm just worried about next year you know as long as we have the right coaching staff we have the right talent around him we get the right defensive weapons I think it's going to be a really good season um you know hopefully hopefully those surprises this week and we'll see a strong performance run the football uh, play some good defense and uh, be, able, be able to shock the world. Um, you know, enjoy doing this pod and uh, everybody have a happy holiday, whatever you celebrate and uh, be safe, be well and uh, enjoy it. God bless. Yeah, I've been very thankful we've been able to, we've gotten through this together, Corey. Uh, yeah. that's, that's what's important. Um, thank you so much, everyone. Be well, be safe. And remember, more than ever in 2022, please be good to each other. Uh, thank you so much for checking out Believe in Bears. Bear down over Christmas, into the holiday, and uh, we'll see what happens with the Seahawks. You know, we'll be back talking about it early next week. So until then, we will talk to you soon.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.